So you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Um, Revelation 19, we'll look at verses 1 through 9, and the text is also printed in the bulletin for you. So we're in a series now on the significance of the resurrection, uh, significance of the resurrection for our lives. At some point over the last few weeks, um, I think I've mentioned how Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of the eternal bodily resurrection of believers, right? We just sang in the song, Jesus lives and so shall I, right? Because of Jesus' resurrection, it's guaranteed to us that we'll be raised from the dead someday. And this morning, we're going to build on that concept a little bit and talk about how our future resurrection and all the joys that will be ours um, because of it, um, how that future makes us able to rightly enjoy our lives now. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll read the passage. Father, we come to you for help this morning. Uh, we want to learn from your word, and uh, more than just learning, we want to be changed by your word. And so we pray that you would uh, give us your Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So filmmakers in recent years have, um, have really cashed in, I think, on the apocalyptic genre. Uh, been quite a few movies uh, portraying the end of the world, and it's usually not a pretty picture, right? Um, you got uh, catastrophic geological events, uh, nuclear winter, biological disasters, uh, zombies, throw a little supernatural stuff in there, right? Uh, paint a pretty bleak picture of the future and a common idea that you come away with uh, is that you know things are relatively good right now right um, so you should live life to the fullest before it all gets wrecked like that um, there seems to be this big threat hanging over all of us that the things that are really important in life family uh, happiness those things are all going to evaporate in an instant. 
So enjoy them now, right? Because the future just holds uh, sadness and despair and nothing. Um, that's your, uh, kind of leaves you with a um, kind of desperate idea of joy, right? Enjoy life now because of how bleak things are gonna be. Uh, it's kind of a desperate, hollow enjoyment that it leaves you with. Um, but that's your basic atheistic worldview at work right there. The future's pretty bleak, meaningless, there's no significance. So squeeze some joy out of it today if you can. That's your best shot, right? Squeeze some joy out of it today. Um, well, then you've got a fairly common worldview among Christians, which is exactly the opposite of that. Uh, this life, bodily, material, physical existence, um, this life is the one that's full of pain and despair, really. And once we escape it, once we're free from this body and this, uh, this material world and we get to heaven, then everything will be good. Right? Um, and really, any good pleasures that you might stumble across in this life are at best a fluke. They're illusory. They're not really consistent with spiritual reality. So you shouldn't really expect things like that, good things, uh, enjoyable things. You shouldn't really expect things like that to happen. Uh, during this life. In fact, earthly pleasures are probably detrimental to your spiritual uh, vitality, aren't they? Um, you shouldn't get too attached to earthly um, material joys, earthly relationships. This life is really just a waiting game until the real joys begin. Um, the present physical world is disposable. The future coming spiritual world, now that's the real deal. Um, and that worldview is uh, its actually a, uh, more of a carryover from ancient Greek dualistic philosophy than it is uh, reflective of the biblical worldview. Right? And the interesting thing about both these worldviews, though, the atheist and the dualist or the Gnostic worldview, is that their visions of the future shape their views of the present, right? Their visions of what is coming shape the way that they view life now. Um, you know, the atheist says that the future is frighteningly empty. So capture the moment before it slips away forever. The dualist says the future is really the only thing that matters, so you should probably just expect this life to suck. Um, the Bible, however, gives us a worldview that trumps both of these. <laughs> The Bible gives us a vision of the future that shapes the present, but it takes the best elements of these other worldviews, and it takes them and it makes them better, right? Um, makes them much better. The worldview that the Bible gives us is one of future hope and of present joy. Um, the future is going to be out of this world amazing, and that reality is spilling over into the present, making us able to better enjoy the real pleasures of this life it makes us better able to really enjoy uh, the, the real pleasures of this life. So this morning, we're looking at the beginning of the end, right? The beginning of the end. It's the last few chapters in the Bible, um, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a picture of the future that awaits God's people after the resurrection of the dead and the great uh, final judgment. Right? The Bible gives this general vision of the future, that one day, it's that day on the brink of eternity, uh, one day Jesus, 
who was the first to be raised from the dead to immortality and glory as a human. Uh, One day, Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Everyone who ever lived, whether they died before Jesus' return or not, will uh, be made to stand before God's throne of judgment. And all people will be changed in the twinkling of an eye Everyone who has rebelled against God will depart into everlasting destruction. Everyone. Except for those who in this life have trusted in the the mercy of Jesus Christ. To save them from uh, from that doom. Those people will follow after Jesus' own resurrection. They'll be made bodily immortal and glorious. And they'll live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. In God's loving presence. And the first thing that we're going to do, the first thing the Bible says that we're going to do, is we're going to sit down and have a feast. um, The likes of which the world has never known. And we're going to celebrate everything God has ever done to bring us to that point where we enter into eternity together. Now, for thousands of years, in cultures around the world... Uh, what has been the most festive, beautiful, special occasion to go to in almost any culture? Uh, it's the wedding celebration. Um, in our culture, it's usually just a day long, the, the community aspect of it, right, uh, celebrating. Uh, but in many times and places, the celebration lasts for a week. That's great. Uh, the wedding has been the pinnacle of the celebration of love for almost every community that's ever existed. And it's the most important day in most people's lives. Right? Um, it's the day when anticipations and hopes and dreams and longings are fulfilled, when uh, family and friends are gathered together in such great joy that we have to cry. Um, when deep intimacy and mutual uh, knowing of one another is finally inaugurated between the groom and the bride, it's the beginning of a new life together. And the Bible says that this is the best earthly picture that we have of the great celebration that follows the resurrection. Our entrance into eternity will be glorious beyond imagination, But the thing that comes closest in our regular experience in this world, the thing that gives you a little glimpse of that glory, is the tremendous joy of a wedding feast. We read it in Isaiah's uh, 25th chapter in our Old Testament reading. You see this in the first few verses of that passage. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. So this, um, in that reading and in our, uh, in our New Testament passage in Revelation 19, it it's a picture of the physicality of eternity. 
right? And it's a picture of the relationality of eternity. Jesus, in his resurrected body, had a strange kind of physicality, right? Something that the world has never really seen before. Uh, He appeared in locked rooms, uh, which is hard for us to understand. But he cooked fish and ate it with his disciples, which is not hard for us to understand, right? Uh, When God swallows up death forever for us, eating and drinking are something we have to look forward to. Eating good food and drinking good drink. (laughs) Uh, And the experience will surely surpass anything that we know here. And at the same time, cultures throughout history and around the world have recognized that eating together, this really physical, solid, mundane kind of thing, eating together um, is a sign of intimacy, right? It's a sign of intimacy. You open yourself up to relationship with people when you sit down at a table and eat with them. Um, if you have someone into your house and you pull up a chair for them, it's a sign of friendship, right? Sitting around the table together at the wedding feast is an even more joyful occasion for all the relationality of it, right? We enjoy this together. Um, God himself will walk around the table wiping away every tear from our eyes, comforting us for all the hardships that we've faced in this life and helping us to celebrate the beginning of a new life together. It'll be a boisterous occasion, right? Verses 6 and 7 of our text. The voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us exult, right? Rejoice. And give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Uh, It'll be just the beginning, as the wedding day is just the beginning of a marriage, right? Um, It's true that the Bible speaks of God's people, the church, being already united to Jesus in marriage, but this will be the final, full, forever uh, union of the Lamb and his bride. Now, um, it says the bride has made herself ready. How is Jesus' bride made ready for her wedding day? It says, it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So, um, just in case you don't get confused by this, it doesn't mean that the saints, the people of God, the church, beautify themselves for God, make themselves acceptable to God as a bride, right, by performing righteous deeds. It says it is granted to the bride to clothe herself with fine linen. And uh, fine linen in the New Testament, that picture is, uh, is almost always a picture of um, the righteousness that Christ himself gives us. Uh, purity and righteousness in God's sight are granted to us by faith in Jesus Christ. It's his moral purity. It's his righteousness that clothes us, it clothes the bride. And without those, those garments, the bride would be the same woman we see earlier in Revelation 19, right? It's the prostitute. Um, some of you know that I, I preached on this passage at a friend's wedding. I think some of you were even there, <laughs> um, Michael and Jenny Edwards. I'm pretty sure that the word prostitute has never come up so many times in a wedding sermon <laughs> um, <clears throat> before. But this is what the text says. 
I heard what seemed to be the, uh, be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. So, um, without the covering of Christ's righteousness that comes by faith in him, by his grace, without the satisfaction of his sacrifice on the cross, turning away God's anger from you, you would be just who you are. Someone who is made by God for eternal communion with him, made for spiritual marriage to him, yet someone who sells your, your beauty, uh, your glory, your allegiance for passing pleasures uh, instead of saving them for the one true God alone. Apart from the salvation that's found in Christ, we are all the prostitute whose eternal destruction brings loud rejoicing in heaven as God's righteous judgment is celebrated. No matter how well you've lived, no matter how righteous you think you are, you've not been a perfect bride for God's Son in and of yourselves. And in fact, uh, Ezekiel, in his prophecy, in the 16th chapter, he intensifies this imagery for us. He says, Ordinarily, men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave gifts to all your lovers bribing them to come to you from every side with all your whorings. We all do this when we worship false gods. When we devote ourselves, we give ourselves, we sacrifice ourselves and our families to get material pleasures, to get the praise of men, to get power, to get sex, to get whatever, right? Whatever are these false gods, we sell ourselves to get them. But the Lord Jesus, um, he will have his wedding day. And so he came from heaven to earth 2,000 years ago to win his bride back for himself. He went forth into the world to capture her by his love, his self-sacrificial love, to cleanse her by the washing of the water of his word, the word of his gospel, his grace, to clothe her in the finest wedding dress imaginable, the garments of his own unstained holiness, his pure righteousness, bought with the price of his own blood on the cross. Jesus is the lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of his people in their place. Good scream. (laughs) Jesus is the lamb who was slain And at his uh, resurrection, 2,000 years ago, God declared to everyone that Jesus' sacrifice as a lamb, his sacrifice of righteousness, is acceptable to God. His resurrection is proof that his righteous deeds count as the righteous deeds of the saints. So now all who trust in Jesus are arrayed in his own splendor, 
Uh, and his resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection, where we will stand one day as a bride, as his bride, and enter into eternal union with God. Verse 9 of our text, blessed are those who are invited. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, book that we're reading for officer training called How People Change by a couple guys, Lane and Tripp. They, they say this, um, it's amazing even to be tolerated by God. It would be an honor simply to be invited to the wedding. It is beyond comprehension to be the beloved bride of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So uh, it's a pretty good picture of the future, right? It's a pretty good hope that we have in the gospel. And the good news is that this was written down in God's word to make, our dif- to make a difference in our lives now, right? to make a difference in the present. Right? This was meant for our, our present encouragement. The joy of the resurrection and the wedding feast changes our lives now. It makes us truly able to live life to the fullest now. Right? I mean, just think, if our eternity is pictured as a marriage to God, and we, the millions of redeemed people who believe in Jesus Christ, are counted as one bride, imagine the unity that's pictured here, right? Um, such unity being our destiny, how does that relational unity impact us now? It means that we have a foretaste of eternity when we enjoy good things together now, right? When we gather together to enjoy God's salvation for us, when we gather together for a simple meal. Uh, yeah, being in relationship is often messy now. One day it won't be anymore. It'll be perfect. But for now, uh, coming to church with other people and doing things with other people isn't all that great um, sometimes, right? But there are good moments, right? And those good moments that we have are a glimpse, they're a foretaste of what is to come. And all those good moments, all those good gifts from God are better enjoyed with company, right? Celebration works better with other people. You don't want to have that bottle of wine all by yourself. (laughs) You want to share it with your friends. And we have opportunity now to celebrate every good gift that comes to us from God. And I'm talking about every good gift from those really spiritual things that we celebrate, like our salvation, right, the forgiveness of our sins, uh, to the really mundane, physical, solid things like food and drink, right, physical comforts. Every good thing that you have is given to you for your enjoyment by the same God who is preparing a wedding feast for you. Every good thing you receive from him It's like he's letting you open one of your wedding gifts early. The real joy that we have to look forward to and the real joy that we have now is the relationship we have with our our husband, right? With the bridegroom. Um, So the gifts that he gives us, all the, the physical comforts and material pleasures that we have to enjoy with one another, they're just that, right? They're gifts. And in a sense, they're only a foretaste. But they're still coming from our husbands, so we can take real delight 
and everything good that he's given us. Right? A, lot of things, uh, a lot of us give up things for Lent. Right? Maybe some of that's driven by some guilt, penitence or something. Uh, we give things up for Lent in preparation for Easter. Have you ever thought about taking something on? Uh, something that would be just extra in light of Easter, in light of the resurrection. Uh, of course, this gracious promise of joy, this wedding feast and everything that it represents going forward from there, um, it isn't just a license to gluttony. It's not a rubber stamp on idolatrous pleasures, right, where we uh, love the gifts more than we love the giver. But we can take on healthy pleasures with thanksgiving. We don't have to feel guilty about enjoying God's good gifts to us, right? Because of the picture that he gives us of eternity with him. Because that picture is one of joy and delight in both body and in soul. We can celebrate the the good things that he gives us now. He is the God who gives us good things to enjoy and our destiny is to feast with him so we can enjoy all those good gifts now in anticipation of that great joy to be received uh, with glad and thankful hearts. And the resurrection and the marriage supper of the Lamb, they really help you to relax your grips on those joy, on those joys, right? The present joys, uh, you can relax your grip on those. It's okay that things aren't perfect yet, right? Even the best things in this life are still only anticipatory. Right? Um, that car that keeps breaking down, uh, the meal that you burnt in the oven, your favorite activity that you can't do anymore because of age, right? they're only a foretaste. They're only a glimpse. You don't really need them, right? Because you've got the ultimate thing coming. You don't need uh, to live for that awesome vacation that you're saving up for for five years, right? You don't need to live for that. You don't need to live for that spouse that you've always dreamed of, right? You don't need to live for that next nice bottle of wine or that motorcycle or whatever, right? You don't need to live for those comforts, for those joys. If God gives you those things to enjoy, enjoy them and thank him for it, right? But if he doesn't, it's okay because you've got something better coming. You've got something better coming. You don't need a bucket list right? because of the resurrection and uh, the joys that we'll have for eternity in, in God's presence. You don't need a bucket list, everything you want to do before you die because there's plenty of time for all those things later. You don't need to hold on to your money, right? Um, all those things money can buy, fun as they might be, are still just little tastes of the joy that is waiting for you, right? You don't have to pursue that nostalgic feeling of past joys. Hold on to them for dear life, right? You don't have to capture every moment with your camera, and if everything goes up in a fire, that's okay, right? Because you've got something better coming, and all those things were just a shadow of it, just a shadow and a foretaste. What's coming is more substantial. It's longer-lasting. 
It's more beautiful, and no one can ever take it away from you. It can never be threatened by anything. It is promised to you as sure as any promise that's ever been made. God who does not lie has declared his intent for you at the cross. He loves you, and he gave his son Jesus for you to make you a bride for him. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, these things are too marvelous for us. Sometimes we don't want to let ourselves believe such good things coming from your word that you love us and you gave your son for us and you have eternal life waiting for us that will be full of joy and glory. It's hard for us to imagine these things or even let ourselves believe them. We pray that you would grant us to exult and to glory in the good promises of your gospel right now, that you would help us uh, not to uh, give ourselves as prostitutes to other things in this life, but that you would help us to enjoy all good things with thanksgiving and with gladness. Uh, All the things that come from your hand, every good and perfect gift comes from you, and we want to enjoy them as coming from you, our husband. And so uh, we pray that you'd help us, that you would change our... um, our hearts, that you would make us faithful to you, our spouse, that, um, that you would help us to enjoy all things in light of the resurrection and the great joy that will be ours uh, one day through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.